You know, Diddy Bread. What's up? I like practicing what I preach. Do you? So the other day I had a power meeting. Yeah. And I wore my seafoam green Sperry's. Did you? Yeah. Those are the best ones. Thanks. Yeah. I, I like the salmon pink myself. Yeah. They complement my bird legs better. Uh-huh. But I went to my power meeting and everything went really well. And I think this is because of my Sperry's. It has to be, right? Yeah. What else could it have been? Nothing I'm aware of. It just gave you the confidence you needed. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you wear seafoam green, nothing's stopping you from there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so if you would like to have unlimited confidence, seafoam, Sperry's, and uh, other accoutrements that are boat related, please visit www.sperry.com. Welcome to Explain Yourself, the podcast where anyone can attempt to explain anything. I'm Diddy Bread. And I'm still the muscle hamster. And here we are in the studio. It's a beautiful summer day. What are we here for, Michael Blum? Today, we are here carrying through one of the themes of this season, I would say, which is self-reflection. And if you can't do self-reflection, you always call it, Diddy Bread, having somebody mirror you. Right. Yes, you need someone to hold a mirror up to you so right. you can see yourself more clearly. Today, I got two hands on the mirror. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready, Blum. Um, you're ready. <laughs> okay. So to give the listeners a little backstory, when did you have the last gathering here at the Davis household? April? Maybe the first weekend or second weekend in May. Okay. Yeah, it might have been April. Anyway, April or May. Okay, so yeah. we're having this gathering, mm -hmm. and there's a cavalcade of luminaries there. Yes, uh, our past explain yourself guests, future explain yourself guests, uh, all kinds of people. So I'm wandering around and talking to folks and shaking hands. And I notice that Diddy Bread is holed up in one particular area mm -hmm. having a heavy theological discussion <laughs> with John Cochran and Nathan Robinson. Yes. And I was like, huh, what's going on over there? <laughs> They're having like theologian's corner. Yeah. And I'm like, this is not the normal thing that goes on. Usually Diddy Bread runs around and double gun points everybody. I do. And refills their drinks Indeed. and make sure you've had enough sausage and that kind of stuff. The charcuterie yeah, board make sure the makes the rounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then like, so I thought maybe Theologian's Corner was like a brief thing, but it was like three healthy hours. Yeah, we were stuck on that. Yeah. It was a good deep convo. I was not invited to participate in Theologian's Corner. You could have bust, busted up in. We would have been happy to have you. Yeah, except for I'm not really schooled in theology, which would have been my <laughs> barrier to entry right. there. Right. So what I did was I took a mental note of it and I, I ear hustled you a little bit. And yes. I listened to what you were talking about. Okay. And it's clear to me that you are going through some kind of reevaluation of your faith. Yes. I like that word. Right. Reevaluation. And then I asked you about it a couple weeks ago. I don't know if yeah. you remember this. And you said, I'm deconstructing my faith. I just, I borrowed that term. And I was further confused. Yeah. But then we sorted out what that meant. Right. Yeah. I, th I like reevaluating. Right. To me, and this is super academic dorky, deconstruction is a 
philosophical maneuver pioneered by the philosopher Jacques Derrida, which seeks to basically uncover the the binary through your writing, like these two things, and that privileges one or the other. This is not what you're doing. Okay. To me, it didn't sound like what you're doing. What it sounds to me like you're doing is you are going, hey... I'm noticing things out in the real world here. Right. And what goes on at my church. Yes. And is not jiving with what I think should be happening. Yes. Basically. And it seems to have been made all that more apparent by Donald Trump's presidency. Yeah. And I think it took me a while to figure out that that was the catalyst I think it was a slow build from there. Right. And by the time I realized that I'm going through this reevaluation, uh-huh. it, I had to think back. And, I, and I've read and heard some things that kind of point back to that as not like this great awakening for a lot of people within the church, but at least one of the one of the major milestones on this journey that a lot of people have had before me. Yeah, <laughs> Where sure. they reevaluate yes. what's going on in the church. And I think it was just kind of a, a wake up call for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So let's then start from there. Yes. Is, do you remember like a specific moment or time when you were like, you know what, I need some reevaluation? <laughs> um, I think it's like I said, it's kind of been a slow build. And I think for me, it was how I started to change my social media intake after George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. Right. And I just had this urge to hear from more black authors and reporters and podcasters Mm -hmm. because we've got an entire group of people saying we are going through these really tough things. We are suffering at the hands of police or other institutions. And white evangelicals are just kind of turning a blind eye to that and saying we don't really see what the problem is. Right, And so... I think with Trump's election, it was kind of this realization that like, oh, man, these people that I go to church with, they're not only voting for this guy, but they're also huge fans. Yeah, right. sure. And how could that be when he's so clearly the antithesis of what we say we hold up as like a picture of Christian virtue? Right. He's the opposite of these things. So I think that was the beginning of it. As far as just me questioning, like, wait, who are these people that I'm sitting in these pews with? Right. Right. Was it weird that you had the certain opinion of these folks who who supported Trump? You had probably a very high opinion of these people. And then as you watch them support Trump, who you see as the antithesis of Christianity, to then change your opinion of these folks You've known for like, I really like Jim from the church. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he seems like a swell fella. And then you you see him supporting this. Right. You're like, ooh, I don't know about Jim. I don't know that there were a whole lot that I would put in that category. People who I had a lot of respect yeah, for. Sure. And then it turns out, you know, they're huge Trump fans. I think there were people who I didn't have, you know, one an opinion sure. one way or the other on them. I guess I just, I guess I was just surprised by... Their willingness to accept. So it wasn't it wasn't so much that I thought, wow, I've I've really been a fan of yours. I've loved all of your you know decisions up to this point. Yeah. And now I don't understand this one. I guess it was just kind of like, I don't know you that well. Right. I assume that our faith is shared and the same. Right. You know, I guess I just, you know, subconsciously, I assumed that that faith would manifest itself in the same way. Right. 
And it, at the very least, I assumed that you wouldn't be able to go vote for a man like this, that at the very least you would stay home on Election Day if you couldn't bring yourself to vote sure. for, you know, a Democratic candidate. Fine. But could you really, in good faith, go and cast your vote for this guy? You right. Know? And I think there was a lot that came out after the 2016 election that was like, well, lesser of two evils kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I I, kind of forgave. I mean, my parents voted for Trump in right. 2016. Right. And I forgave a lot of that just because obviously I empathize with my parents. Like I understood at that time that, you know, we had only had a year of his shenanigans mm-hmm. up to that point. And I saw how you could maybe overlook some of that stuff and say, well, in an effort to make sure that we are able to control the the Supreme Court appointees or whatever, or, you know, whatever little cause you're on a bandwagon for, I could understand how maybe you thought in 2016, this has got to be the better way to go. Even though I didn't agree with that. Sure. <laughs> I thought, okay, I kind of understand where you're coming from, evangelicals. And then every day, it was just a daily onslaught mm-hmm. of just misogyny and racism and narcissism and putting people directly in harm's way and having no sympathy or empathy for any suffering people that he didn't think would vote for him right. you know just day after day of that and it just it got me re- it got me angry that we still had people supporting him and saying well this is better than the alternative right and of course, by the time 2020 rolled around the new election, it was just, you know, you saw people doubling down and saying, yeah, let's have four more years of this. Right. And I think there were obviously just events happening in the background mm-hmm. that got me even more riled up because you saw the same people who would minimize the trauma of black people mm-hmm. are the ones who support Trump and... I don't know. By the time 2020 rolled around and people are doubling down on this guy, I'm just like, I'm done. You know, I don't know how to go to church with these people. Like, I don't know how to. I don't know how to be in a physical space with them, saying the same words together, singing the same songs together, like thinking about the same biblical passages together when they're willing to still follow this guy. Right. It was just kind of a breaking point. Okay, so how do we make the jump from... Big national events, yes. right, which is what you're looking at. Right. To, you could very easily say big national events don't have a large impact on my Diddy Bread's faith. No, not my faith. I don't think much about my faith has changed except for a couple of things. I think one of the things is, do I feel the need to be committed to this particular local church? Which isn't really a faith issue as much as it is just like, am I willing to even leave this denomination? And I don't I don't think we're there yet. I don't think my particular denomination has had as many red flag issues as like, say, the SBC. So I don't think I'm at that level yet. But would I be willing to step away from this particular denomination? And then another thing is like, am I okay with how my church views the role of women within the church And am I okay with my church's stance on the church's role in racial justice? Right. And so why did you choose to evaluate your church over, say, your workplace? My workplace. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about my workplace, too. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's completely fair. 
because I go to church with some of the people that I was working with. Right. Um, and they're all they all kind of share a similar faith okay. um, background. So, no, I think that was part of it, too. But I think the church is the, the one place in my life where I have this confluence of like different groups of people who believe very different things as far as like what the church's role is socially. Okay. Right. And so I don't encounter that with my friend group because we're all friends because we're like-minded sure. in those ways. Sure. So I have these people who I'm committed to not because we share the same opinions, but because we've agreed to be a part of this local church and serve, serve the church and be served by the church and serve the community that we're in. And I'm on board with all of that. I just wonder like, all right, what is this going to look like? going forward because now I'm very passionate about making sure we have a healthy marriage of what we believe the Bible says and what that means for how we should interact with the world around us, including politics, Uh including care for caring for people through government programs or through laws or through, you know, Uh like it kind of is just the idea of being progressive versus being conservative. Mm-hmm. Why would we want to keep things the same right. when it's harming so many people, right? Right. So I just don't know how we can go on with this notion that these these aspects of our lives can be kept separate. And I don't think anybody really believes that. Like you'll hear conservative Christians talking about how they do want to keep things, you know, keep faith and politics separate but then they have their own little pet issues that they do mix their faith in with and i think in theory it's possible to do that sure the the intersection to me is both of these institutions deal in morality and that's where things become they're intermingled to the point where they can't be separated right basically but i don't know i could see how you could do it as well i think that's just i think that's a cover i think that's the line they pull out when it's something that threatens their very sacred views of, mm-hmm. of how politics should work. Mm-hmm. So it's like if we're saying, hey, let's all give a little more in tax so that we can fund this type of program yeah. to help this type of person. No, 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 no. We, we can't intermingle faith and politics. Right. But if it's something like let's not try to legislate women's health issues. Mm-hmm. Now we do definitely have to merge right, faith and right. politics, right? So right. it just depends on, you know, what pet issues they've picked out for themselves. Okay. Yeah. If I'm going to take off my Michael the Wacky co-host yes. hat and put on my Michael the Historian hat. Please do. That's what I want you to be here for. Uh, yeah, right. I am Both, actually. going to say, Diddy Bread, yeah. you knew that the church... The white Southern churches have been involved with the Republican Party since the 60s. Yes. This is an easily confirmed and well-documented historical interpretation. Sure, yes, absolutely. Why were you so taken aback when the people at your church would support a conservative candidate? Well, I don't, I don't really see Donald Trump as a typical conservative candidate. He didn't run on the platform issues that Republicans typically run on. He right. ran on... Maybe conservative is not the wrong word. Maybe the word is a Republican. Like the right. the Southern churches have been associated with the Republican Party since Nixon. Yes. And the idea that they wouldn't, like you should be prepared that they sure. would support yeah. the Republican. I don't think I was that surprised in 2016. 
surprised is not a good word for it. It was more just like disappointed. But yeah, no, I didn't begrudge anybody that choice in, in 2016, even though I thought it was just painfully obvious that he wasn't espousing any of the typical values that that Republican candidates typically do. I think he I think he played into and I mean, this is this is well documented now, but he just played into the, the fear of white Americans of the idea that like maybe you guys won't be holding on to the power that you've had in the same way for very long. You know, mm-hmm. he like he pushed the narrative of here come the immigrants and mm-hmm. they're going to take over or I think he is I mean if you read uh Jesus and John Wayne, it basically goes through like it, it wasn't just Trump and I think you're right the Republican party they nabbed the evangelical vote during early during the late 60s. Yes, and it was this this idea of let's push this super masculine tough kind of narrative that people will respond to positively you know kind of that cowboy kind of (laughs) and i think trump kind of espoused that a little bit like i'm gonna come in here and be rude and Mm -hmm. dismissive of like the way politics is supposed to work kind of turning everything on its head. But I wasn't surprised. I think what's surprising me now is that it's very clear to me that the Republican Party has gone through a really weird transition and they don't look the way that they did when I was growing up. Like when you and I were younger, I mean, I I identified as a Republican before I was even able to vote because everybody I knew was. And I was like, oh, well, this is just, this is the right way, right? This This is how we live out our faith right. in the world. We go vote Republican. Uh-huh. And I mean, and that's that's something to take note of, too, is how like it's passed down to children. The idea that like the Republican Party is the Christian party. Right. Sure. Which I don't believe anymore. <laughs> but I did then. And so but then it was more like conservatives were just about like, let's keep taxes low and let's try to, you know, keep Christianity in as much stuff as we can possibly keep it in, you know, prayer mm-hmm. in schools and that kind of thing. And it was just this like this idea that like, let's just make sure we're we're evangelizing the rest of the world as much as we possibly can, mm-hmm. you know. And I just think now you've got there are members of Congress who are like active QAnon members <laughs> like how did we get here? You know, I mean, right. it's just bizarre what we're dealing with now. That's what's surprising to me is I think what the church has done is kind of turned a blind eye mm-hmm. to how extreme <laughs> things have gotten. And Trump was maybe kind of the the beginning of that. The next question, of course, is then what resource did you turn to? Shout out some folks who are doing some books or podcasts yeah. or articles who are thought provoking and... So and and my church has actually done done a good job at this because the people and I want to give a shout out to my church, the people in charge at my church, at least the pastor and the the associate pastor, I think are very in tune with what's been going on. And they are, you know, they'll stand up on Sunday on the Sunday after the the January 6th insurrection. They'll stand up in the pulpit and condemn Christian nationalism. They will do that. Uh But they also get feedback from our congregation mm-hmm. on that after they do things like that. Yeah. Um, and maybe even within the church leadership, mm-hmm. like our elders and deacons and that kind of thing. So they've done a good job. They brought in uh, speakers 
um, they these little like you know one night seminars sure. on race and and the history of the church and race uh-huh. and things that I think you know we need to be talking about because I think it's very convenient for congregations to uh, either they've never learned the history of the church and racism especially right. in the South. Or they know about it, but they're just kind of like, well, that was then, and it, it actually has nothing to do with what the church is doing now. Right. And they don't realize that those things have kind of carried over, mm-hmm. and that this is the reason we have the segregation in churches right. that we have now. And this is something that's very pertinent to our church, because we are we are in the Pomil community, and we want to, to have a more diverse-looking congregation like we want we want more and more perspectives to be within our pews and it's just hard to do that it's been very very (laughs) hard to do that so it started with I think those things so it was actually it was actually my church who got me started thinking about these things but then I looked for other resources and so Jamar Tisby has been one of those and he wrote The Color of Compromise which is about the the church and the history of the church and race Mm-hmm. And then he also wrote How to Fight Racism. I've also gotten into, there's there's an upheaval right now going on from the perspective of women in the church who don't agree that, that women are by design subservient <laughs> to men, right. which is an idea that I grew up with and uh-huh. that I've only recently been able to kind of pick apart. Um, and we covered this with Ethan. At, we did. At great length yes when we had Zana on to talk about feminism even then I think for me it was it was tough to wrestle with Mm -hmm. those with those ideas because when from the time you're you know a child you're taught that God's design for men and women is that men are leaders and women are followers Mm -hmm. and subservient to men like when you're taught that that's actually biblical it's hard to because there's so there's so much else about my faith that I'm that I'm so uplifted by. Right. And so it's hard when you you come across a bit that people have told you is integral uh-huh. to your faith. And you're just like, wait a minute. What if it's not, though? Right. <laughs> you right. know, like, and so I've read um, The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr, who basically is just putting the idea out there that what if this idea of men's headship and women's subservience mm-hmm. is not biblical at all and it's it's called complementarianism uh-huh. within the church and so she's basically saying complementarianism is just patriarchy uh-huh. and and it's just disguised as being biblical when it's really not so that's somebody i've been paying attention to i follow her on twitter and that you know there's of course the jesus and john wayne book about white evangelicals and their kind of bond with um the republican party and I mean, yeah, you you know a little bit of the history of oh. that. Um, I don't know. It's just it's interesting having been having grown up when we did in the 80s, where it was just like those were the glory days of the Republican Party. Like Reagan is held up as some sort of god. Yes, with, yes. in the Republican Party, I still see people around here wearing a Reagan Bush campaign T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just I was surrounded by this kind of this kind of thinking and it wasn't like it was it wasn't like these were the the pillars of my faith they right. were just kind of they were in the background and mm-hmm. it was just all kind of assumed that like yes we all agree with this this is just this is part of this is part of who we are as Christians is that 
uh, women are going to uh, be subservient to men. They're not going to have leadership positions within the church. Nobody talked about race when I was growing up. Nobody. It was just kind of like we didn't have any black people at my church and it just wasn't really talked about. They're over there doing their thing. We're over here doing our thing. And yeah, we weren't super political. I've never been a part. I've never had the experience of going to church and it being like a political thing. Like we didn't have an American flag in our sanctuary. We didn't do the Pledge of Allegiance or like, you know, we didn't do Fourth of July special sermons about how great America is. Right. But that that was happening around us. Like my husband, Jerry, went to a church like that. Uh I think that's more of a Baptist thing. (laughs) But but. Yeah. So I've just been exposed to a lot of voices that were not a part of my life growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really interesting, to say the least. OK, so I think this leads us back. Yeah. To the theologians corner of yeah. April. Yeah. What were you all talking about? You, Nathan, John and whoever else is participating in theologians. Corner. Oh, OK. Yeah. So that conversation, I think um, there were sources being cited, things being looked up. <laughs> Were there really? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot Gosh, going on. I don't remember this. I mean, I vaguely remember, like, I wanted to bring it up with with my brother and with Nathan because... Oh, John Cochran was also involved. John Cochran, that's right. Because I knew that, that these guys, all of them, had started to go through this process earlier okay. than I had. And I just wanted to hear their perspective and to maybe, like, just talk through... It's, and it's been great. And I've still talked to, like, I just talked, I was texting with Nathan about it the other day. He texted me about a tweet that I, I think I, I tweeted just about all these, these things that I'm reading yeah. and listening to yeah. and how it's just so much yeah. and it's really heavy. And I, w- I think I said something like, are we surprised that people are leaving the church, right. you know, or, or abandoning their faith altogether, right. you know, as a result of this, uh, of this stuff. And yeah, so Nathan's Nathan's been a good resource for me, and and my brother has too, and uh, yeah, John Cochran, who's brilliant. They're all brilliant. I guess we all kind of have the same idea, which is that something's not right, and we should not just sit by and keep doing what we've been doing. We can't just keep going to church and pretending like this is fine. We'll shut our church doors and just act like nothing right. is going on right. outside of of our little church building here. So I think that's what we all have in common. And I think we're all, it's interesting because we're all kind of taking different approaches to like, okay, what do we do about this? Mm -hmm. And I think my biggest struggle right now is we, you know, we've just come out of, of this year of pandemic and like nobody was going to church. And so it's even harder now to think about what do I do because we've been so disconnected and, it, you know, when you experience that kind of disconnection from people, it's harder to, like, jump back in. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going in not just with these feelings like, OK, our, our church needs to have a better response to some of the social things going on. That's one barrier. But then there's also this barrier of just like, I haven't seen you guys and it's weird. And I right. just feel weird right. <laughs> about being in here with you. Right. Do you, do you get the impression <laughs> that your church just lost a lot of folks? Yeah, every reason. church, every church has. Like, let's just say, even if they were pleased with the church before they left, yeah, and then COVID happened, they couldn't come for like a year, and they just were like, "Nah, I'm good." I think we've had some of those. I think we've also had some who are looking for a place that is going to be more 
vocal and active. Right. Um, I think we've had that too. Yeah. Yeah. I could completely, I could completely see that. Yeah. Um, side note, how many, what point do we get through an episode without mentioning Nathan Robinson? <laughs> I, I knew you were going to bring that up. I know. I'm tired but of this. I knew this was going to happen. Though. Yeah. As soon as you said, let's talk about your faith and your deconstruction or whatever. I was like, well, you know, Nathan's going to come up. Um, we can just rename this the Nathan Robinson hour. And he can, <laughs> he can bring his scraggly here. We should we should definitely have him on to talk no, about this. We shouldn't. I, you, we shouldn't. No. Well, OK. Well, I can at least just tell you and I don't think he would mind me sharing that he has he has kind of come to a place where he doesn't even see the need um, and maybe he even would see some damage in continuing to participate in organized religion right. where you're in a church building every right. Sunday. Yeah. And he's he told me he's he feels very free, freer than he's ever felt huh. about it. And so and I thought about that. I pondered that. Right. Like I meditated on that and talked to my brother about it. And I think I kind of have landed in a slightly different place than Nathan. But I want to I want to talk more to him about it. I think I think I still want to do organized religion. And I think the reason, because it's going to be flawed no matter what, like I could, I could leave and go to another church Mm -hmm. and there's going to be a whole nother set of problems, right? Because anytime you get a bunch of people together, you know, you're going to run into stuff. We're not all going to agree on stuff. And that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a church where I agree with all of you about every political issue that comes into our, you know, realm. I just feel like, there's going to be something missing if I don't do corporate worship. I feel like that that is one of those things about my faith that like for me to be able to wrap my head around who I am, why I'm here, what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I think I need that regular gathering mm-hmm. and and we're all kind of focused on the same thing for an hour a right. week, you know. So I think that community is important. I think Nathan's made the argument that like you can get that community in other ways and sure. other places. You can kind of cobble it together for yourself. And sure, that's probably true. I think my my problem, though, is if it's up to me to cobble that together, mm-hmm. it's just going to be a bunch of like minded people. And that doesn't push me. Right. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't demand anything hard from right. me. Like that's too easy, you know. But maybe he's maybe he's been able to do that in a way that's that's very rewarding for him. I hope I hope that's the case. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where I go from here. I just know that I'm fine. I'm fine sitting in pews with people who are diehard complementarians. That's okay. That's right. not going to like make or break my relationship with that person. Right. I'm not okay with. I mean, I don't want to say. I don't want to say I'm not okay with being in there with these people. I don't, I, here's what I'll say. I don't know what to do about the fact that I'm going to church with people who either don't see or don't care about the issues that people of color are facing Mm -hmm. in our country. I'm not okay with it. And I don't know what to do about it. (laughs) Right. I can't just wear a sandwich board around my body when I'm in there saying like, Hey, racism is a thing, you know, like, But I don't know what to do. And I guess I'm just kind of stuck here for now. I'll just go, you know. Sure. I'll just, I'll keep going and maybe I'll have an epiphany. I don't know. 
Like I want to do something. I want to do like a book study or something, but I don't know what good that's going to do. Tweeting about it's not doing anything. It's make you feel better at least. Maybe a little. Maybe. When you tweet about this kind of stuff, do you get positive responses? I'll get like a like or two or a text from Nathan. (laughs) Okay. Uh, no, I don't have a big enough following on Twitter for it to really be doing any good. It's really just for me. It's just well, to yeah. put my put my stuff out there in the ether. Right. But yeah. Is that like a good like mini purge of something? Yeah, it's it's helpful. It helps me clarify what I want to say. And if and if I am in a conversation with someone, you know, face to face, I think it'll help that I have gone through the process of. I mean, because you kind of have to you, you kind of have to clarify your thoughts before you, you put something out there on social media. So I think that's helpful. OK, that process of kind of like self-editing and like, do I really understand this? Do I understand this enough to, to, to right. tweet about it? I mean, who is asking that question? I don't know. But I want to keep learning. I want to keep taking in as much information as I can. And I think I don't know. I've just been struggling as a white person, especially struggling with like, how do I How do I participate in movements or causes that are going to advance things like Black Lives Matter or bail projects or, Uh you know, just things that are affecting the black community? And then also as a woman, what role do I have to play in maybe, I don't know, at least getting people to think about why are we still holding on to really archaic ideas (laughs) about men and women? The question that Beth Allison Barr asks in her book a couple of times is just like, but what if you're wrong? You know, right. I mean, have we really stopped and and picked this apart? Right. Enough. But yeah, I would agree with you. The deconstruction is not the right term. And I think probably that's that might be reserved for folks who these questions and these struggles get them to the point where they're wondering if their faith is if any part of it is valid right and that's not that's not where i am at all it's definitely not been enough to to make me throw up my hands and say forget this religion stuff (laughs) because again you put this you put anything in the hands of human beings and we're gonna mess it up and that's what we've done that's what we do with religion and politics and education and anything Uh you know but that doesn't mean we should bail in fact it means all hands on deck let's get in there and let's make this better Do you walk around on the day-to-day feeling unnerved? I grew up with this set of principles. Yeah. They were the pillars of my existence (laughs) until 2018. And now they're all sort of being shaken, right? You're shaking them to see if they hold. Yes. And I could see that process being unnerving. I think there are days when I feel unnerved. Like, I'll journal occasionally and lately... Lately, it's been a lot of just like spilling out my thoughts about this and my frustrations about it. And yeah, these questions of what do I do? How do I continue to be in community with these people? Because I believe I'm commanded to love these people, even if they're racist. So I just don't know what that looks like, because I don't believe that love looks like I'm going to support you and all of the things that you believe. I think love kind of demands if I see that you've got a stance that is potentially harmful to other people. I want to challenge you on that. Right. Right. I just don't know what that looks like because I don't know these people that well. Right. You know, (laughs) so 
So what I don't want to do is kind of let this make me bitter and and turn me against people. Right. Like that would kind of be the antithesis of what church is for. But I don't think I'm unnerved to the point that I'm totally shaken because these these were not pillars like issues of race and women. These were not. Oh, and conservatism. These were not major pillars of my faith. I think I think my parents did a good job of when we were kids making sure that we had just the basic tenets of our faith that really didn't get into like. It didn't delve into the world of politics or gender or race. It was the bare bones, you know, catechism kind of thing. Right. Like the, here are creeds and right. catechisms. Sure. And I think what we're missing right now is the application of what we believe. Those tenets of our faith, I think we are meant to put them into practice in whatever situation we're in, wherever we are, like culturally, socially. I think those things are supposed to manifest themselves in a lot of different ways. And I think we as Christians have to figure out what that looks like, but we can't just we can't just have those things like here are the pillars of our faith and then we're going to just stay separate from from what's going on out there. So, no, it's not it's not shaken me to the point that I'm emotionally distressed okay <laughs> all the time yeah now i do get bummed about it sometimes um but so last question yes there is someone else who lives in this household yes he's handsome yeah he is he's got a plump dumper he does and he is also a person of the religion yes how is your reevaluation sort of played out in that realm that's a good question i think jerry does he undergo an, a reevaluation with you, or are we reevaluating together? I think I bring him along with me. Okay. He doesn't pursue this stuff, mostly just because he doesn't have time. Right. So, I, you know, I'm all over the Twitters, and I'm reading these books and listening to these podcasts, and I'll share with him, like, my insights from what I'm reading, and he's very on board, and I know that he, I know that he cares about social issues. I know that the reason he's doing the job he is now is because he wants to... Like he wants his restaurant to be a place where I'm bettering the community because we're, you know, we're just a cool place to come and get uh-huh. something to eat. But it's also about giving good jobs to people and paying them well. Right. And making sure that, you know, it's a safe place for anybody to come and work and right. you feel supported and you feel heard and he wants to empower women and people of color. And so he's on board with all this stuff. And I think he's just looking at, like, how can I do this through my job? And he's been less concerned about what it looks like in the church, which is fine. I mean, it's this is just where he is right now. This right. is where his head is right sure. now. But that's, yeah, that's one of the things, Jerry, and I think about. Should we try to find a place where maybe the congregation looks different or maybe, maybe there's just a more diverse, even just po- politically diverse makeup? You know, because our denomination is pretty conservative, Mm -hmm. like just as a rule. But there are denominations that are not, you know, where there's a more even mix. I just don't know if the benefit to that would outweigh would be worth like leaving the church that we've been a part of for five years. I mean, we've helped start this church. Uh It was a church plant that we were a part of. So I don't know. What else? That's what I got. That's what I you think got. we don't a forlorn look and we don't know <laughs> is like the perfect place to end because yeah. this is the larger lesson, I think, 
is that like if you are going to undertake some kind of evaluation like this, you're mm-hmm. going to be stuck with a, a lot of I don't knows and I'm not sure. Yeah. On the one hand, this and on the other hand, that. Right. And you have to be comfortable with that. Mm hmm. And understand that you are on a prolonged journey. Yes. Rather than a short term renovation. Mm. Yeah. Right. And that sometimes yeah. the answer is I don't know, or it depends on the situation, or I would have to read the clues in the room before I made a decision on this, mm-hmm. or something else completely mm-hmm. in- entirely. I think you're right. And I think I have a tendency to want to make changes, like drastic changes, if I don't think things are the way they're supposed to be. Right. Like, I just want to mix everything up. And yeah, I think you're right. I think this is more of a slow playing it kind of thing. I'm just not very good no. at that. <laughs> not at all. But, I, you know, there's got to be some value in people like Jerry and me deciding to stay in a place where it's 100% white and it's predominantly conservative. Uh-huh. And maybe maybe it's just good that that we stay just to be a different kind of voice in this place. All right. You want to wrap up there? Yeah. You feel good? Yeah, I think that's a good place to... I think that's a good place to wrap it up. All right. For now. For now. We'll definitely... We'll do part two in three years. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Without Nathan. No. (laughs) The less Nathan, the better is what I always say. Oh, man. Do you want to plug some social medias? Let's plug some social medias. All right. Go forth, yo. So, you guys, uh, listeners, thank you so much. We are always thrilled to see interactions on our social media sites. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And which one of those is your favorite, Michael Blum? Twitter is my favorite. Yeah. But I used to really think, I used to get on here and say it was like a privilege for them to talk to me. Yeah. And then nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> so now I'll just ask very politely if you would follow us on Twitter. Yes. So we're not Splain we're not going to be braggadocious yourself. about it. We're just going to say, find us on Twitter. Yes. Splain underscore yourself. That's our Twitter and Instagram. Find us and interact with us. Please. Michael will, Michael will still be very polite. Sure. Even though his feelings are hurt. A little hurt. And there was one guy, he sent a DM. Yeah. And he was like, dang, your show is dope. I want to come on. And I was like, oh, let's flesh out how to do this. And then we got like three DMs back and forth. And yeah. Then he ghosted me. <gasps> oh, no. What's that about? Uh, his ghost show. I don't know what to do. Dude, come on. All <laughs> so, right. Well, if you, re- if you really want to be on our show, hit Blum up. Find us. And... Uh, if you don't have an episode for us, at the very least, we would love your feedback. Like, just let us know what you think of the show. Give us, like, topic ideas. What do you want us to talk about? We're, we're all about it. Sure. All right. What's our sign off? Always reevaluate yourself and re-explain yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think keep asking questions, Keep right? asking questions and always be ready to explain yourself. Explain yourself. There you go. Woo, woo.